0: Hey, credit heroes. Today's podcast is all about secret dispute strategies. We're gonna be counting down the top seven tactics for removing collections, foreclosures, inquiries, bankruptcies, and a whole lot more. So you better stick around. So the big question is this, how can we take our passion, for helping people with their credit and turn it into a successful business without taking loans, without spending a fortune, by bootstrapping it from nothing so we can help the most people and still become highly profitable? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. My name is Daniel Rosen, and welcome to Credit Repair Business Secrets. Okay, if this is your first time listening to my podcast, Every week, I cover industry news, financial tips, and entrepreneurial advice for bootstrapping your business from nothing. This show is an essential how-to guide for business owners, and there is no other podcast like it, so be sure to click that subscribe button now and get ready to start changing lives. Okay, so a few months ago, I had an amazing talk with one of our most successful credit repair millionaires, Bruce Politano. And Bruce is like a walking encyclopedia of credit repair strategies. He's the founder of the largest outsourcing agency for credit disputing, and he handles more disputes than anyone else I know. And during that talk, he shared so many of his best top secret credit repair strategies, including how to remove student loans, foreclosures, late payments, bankruptcies, and a whole lot more. And I just had to share them again. But this time, I wanted to get right to the very best moments. So I am counting down Bruce's top seven secret dispute strategies. But before we get started, this podcast is brought to you by Credit Hero Score. Credit Hero Score is the only credit monitoring service that integrates directly with Credit Repair Cloud. Get instant access to your credit reports and scores by signing up for a 7-day trial for only $1. Sign up right now at creditheroscore.com. Okay, let's get into this. The top 7 secret credit repair dispute strategies from Millionaire's Club member Bruce
1: Palatano. It's proven by trial and error for multiple times, right? In credit repair, nothing is guaranteed. And I'm not one to sit here and say, I'm, it's, I'm guaranteed you're gonna get student loans deleted every time if you use the strategy. I'm not that guy, I'm never gonna do that, I'm never gonna tell you that. What I will tell you is that in my experience, more often than not, when done this way, we see some sort of better success rate, all right? Now, this works for federal student loan debt only, okay? Only for federal student loan debt. If it's a private student loan debt, this strategy doesn't apply, okay? So that's the disclaimer there. When you dispute um, a student loan, it's taken the same way as any other account, right? But with student loans, there's programs that the Department of Education offers to borrowers or federal student loan debt, programs um, that include like consolidation of the loans and lowering monthly payments with income-driven plans and different forgiveness programs and things like that. So, and that's actually what I got into when I sold my credit card company. So, I mean, I've still been doing this, you know, for the last five years and I never stopped. What happens is when you consolidate a federal student loan debt, what happens is when you look at a credit report, you never see one student loan account, right? Like you're going to see four, five, eight, 10 different, you know, Naviance or, or Great Lakes or Fed Loans. Rarely you see one, right? You're always gonna see multiple of them. And why is that? For every semester that you go to school, the Department of Education disburses a loan to pay for that semester. And on the credit report, that's what it looks like, right? So if I see 10 accounts, I know that guy went to school for 10 semesters because the disbursement that the Department of Education gives to the student is per semester. So for every semester, you got to pay for classes, books, blah, blah, blah. That's why there's multiple loans on a report, right? When they graduate or they're no longer in school full time for six months, they have to start paying those loans back. And it's one payment for all of the disbursements, right? On the credit report, it looks like you have six different loans, but really it's one payment that's going to cover the entire debt. And if you miss that one payment, what happens to all six loans on a report? They all show with a missed payment
0: oh, wow, that really sucks.
1: It's terrible, right? Now, the Department of Education gives you a 90-day cushion. So in order for it to show late, you have to be 90 days past due or more. So they won't report you 30 or 60 days late. They will only report you once you go 90 days late, right? So, I mean, it's a little bit better. They're the only furnishers that will will do that. Everybody else, you're 30 days late, boom, you're dinged, right? So federal student loan debt, you will never see a 30 or a 60-day late payment on a federal student loan debt on a credit report. It'll always be, okay, 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 90 days late, right? And people use that as a dispute reason. How is it that I'm you know, on time in March and then in April, I'm 90 days late, right? But that's why. They didn't report you're late, right? They reported you 90 days late when you were 90 days late. So what does a consolidation do? The consolidation takes those six loans. I'm using six as an example, obviously. They take those six loans and the Department of Education pays them all off, right? to the To the servicer. So Navient, Fed Loans, Great Lakes, Mojila, Sally Mae, these are all servicers of the Department of Education loans, right? Servicers, think think of them like the bank that is collecting the debt. So the Department of Education says, you know what? Here, Fed Loans, I'm going to pay you off these six loans, okay? And then the Department of Education reissues one brand new loan in a total amount of the six loans that they had before back to the client, back back to the borrower, right? So on the borrower's credit report, what does that look like? All six loans, the old ones, are paid in full and closed, right? It doesn't say that it was paid in full through consolidation. Like it reports exactly like it would as if the client had mailed them a check to pay them all off in full. It's exactly how it's going to report. So all those old loans are now paid and closed, right? That's a benefit of itself, right? Like now it looks like, man, you borrowed a bunch of money and you paid a bunch of money back, right? It looks good on you. And one loan is reissued back to the student in the form of one account, in the total debt amount, right? So you had $30,000 between six loans. Now you still have $30,000 in the form of one loan, right? And that's what happens. So now those six loans, if you're disputing them, their old loans, it's probably because there's some sort of negative aspect to them, probably a payment history problem, right? So what happens is once those, while those loans are open, and they have a balance every single month, they get reported because it's an open account, it has a balance. Every single month, the furniture, right, there is gonna report to the bureaus what what the account information is, right? But what happens once they're closed and paid? What reports?
0: What does happen?
1: Nothing, right? There's nothing to report. The account is paid off. You you pay off your auto loan, you trade in your car. or is the the, the the lender still reporting that loan to the reports? It's not. Right. So the student loans, the same thing. Those old loans are all paid in closed, meaning they're no longer reporting every single month anymore. You have one brand new account. Now is the time to dispute those old loans because the chances of the furnishers even responding to the dispute are very slim. And that's why they come off. They're closed, they're paid. They're not going to go back and dig old graves to try to find stuff to verify information. They're just going to say, well, delete, we don't care.
0: Wow. That's brilliant.
1: Yeah. Now, it doesn't happen every time. Remember what I said in the beginning. I'm not saying it happens every single time, but more often than not, if you're patient enough to go through that process of first consolidating your client's loans, waiting for the loans to report as paid and the new loan to report, and now you hit them, then your chances are increased. What is a collection, right? It could be one of two things. One, your debt defaults with Bank of America, Chase, Wells Fargo, whoever, with the original creditor where you incurred the debt originally. Normally what happens is after about 180 days, the debt gets charged off, right? And what is a charge off? It's nothing more, nothing less than an accounting term, right? It means they're writing the debt off as a loss, right? And at that point, the the original creditor, let's say Chase, they have an option to sell the debt to a collection company or to hire a collection company to collect on the debt, right? There's a difference. When they sell off the debt, they're selling off all the rights to that debt. They no longer owe it. Midland Funding now owes it, owns it. When they hire a collection company, it's still their debt. The collection company is just hired to collect the debt, right? Either way, now you have a collection on your credit report for the, you know, Chase credit card, right? It'll say Chase charge off balance zero, hopefully, right? If they sold the debt, and then uh, Midland Funding. Original creditor, Chase, balance $5,000. That's how it shows up, right? All right, so when collection companies buy debt, they buy them in bulk, right? They they go to to Chase and they say, hey, what you got for me? You got anything to sell? And Chase is gonna be like, they're gonna bundle all of these defaulted debts, total of $100,000. And the fund is gonna say, cool, I'll give you 15 grand for all of that, right? And Chase will be like, hmm, Do I take zero, which I'm getting from the clients? Or do I take the 15 grand that I'm getting offered from Midland Funding, right? So now Midland Funding purchases all these debts from Chase. They own the rights to them now. It's their debt they're going to collect, right? So that's very important because Midland Funding just purchased a bunch of debt from Chase. But all they purchased, Daniel, was what? Name, email, phone number, and debt amount. Do you think that Chase sent... Documents and documents and documents from every single one of those debts that they sold to Midland Funding over to Midland Funding? They don't? They don't. Wow. They don't. They just sell the the, the consumers' information. Now Midland Funding goes to goes to you know collect it. So that's how it works. Now, when you the collection companies, they have to first validate a debt before they're able to collect it. And there's something called a dunning period, right, where the collection company needs to notify the consumer that they now own this debt and they're going to come collect it, right? And the consumer has 30 days from that dunning period to request validation of that debt from the collection company, right, before the collection company can actually start pursuing the debt in a legal manner, right? So my strategy for collections is very simple. A collection company cannot collect the debt they have not validated to the consumer, correct? So what we do is we will send a debt validation request to the collection company, not to the bureaus. Bureaus don't validate anything. Collection companies validate, right? Original creditors, Chase, Bank of America, they don't validate anything. They verify things, right? So there's a difference between validation. It's a term that's not interchangeable. Validation is under FDCPA for collection companies, right? So now I've sent a debt validation letter to Million Funding, and I'm gonna wait three to five days, and then I'm gonna send a dispute to the credit bureau for that same account, okay? Now, if the collection company verifies the debt with the bureau before they validate the debt to the consumer, that's considered an attempt to collect the debt. If the collection company verifies debt information with the bureaus, that's considered an attempt to collect the debt because they're verifying a debt to the bureau, right? And they cannot collect the debt that they have not validated yet, right? So why do we send a letter to the collection company first? Because we want to make sure that they receive our notice of validation, request of validation first before the bureaus even get our dispute. Because now we know they received our validation request before they received the verification request from the Bureau. And if they verify the debt to the Bureau before they validate the debt to the consumer, that's an FDCPA violation. Wow. Right? Can you use FDCPA violations as leverage to potentially get accounts removed? Absolutely. Right? And if you work with an attorney, the attorneys will eat that up all day. All day. They'll love that right? So now you're not only potentially getting the accounts removed, you're potentially even getting money back for your consumer if your company's partnered with an attorney. So that's our strategy when it comes to collections. We always go to the, we always send a validation letter to the collection agency first, wait a few days, then send a regular dispute to the bureaus. And if the collection company actually verifies the debt without validating to the consumer, which happens more often than not, then you really got something. You got some leverage now, right? There's a difference when you file a BBB complaint or a CFPB complaint with leverage versus just Eh, they didn't respond to my dispute. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's When you have more leverage, you have more power. So that's the name of the game, right? You want more power on your side to fight them with than not. And that's why every strategy that we have is focused around trying to get as much power on the consumer side as we can to push against the, the, the collection agencies and the bureaus to get stuff removed. With mortgage and foreclosure, it's a little bit different. Let's go back to laws, right? Because the only reason credit repair works is because of the consumer protection laws that are in place, right? Or else it wouldn't work. Credit repair wouldn't exist. You know, bureaus don't just do things because, you know, you you motivated them to. No, it's because there's leverage, right? So the only way you get leverage against um, the bureaus and, and the furnishers is if you can catch them doing something they shouldn't be doing, right? So let's talk about mortgages. So there's a law um, in the real estate world called RESPA right, which is the real estate settlements procedures act. And there's a bunch of different things in there that pertains to realtors and to to lenders and to all that. But there's something that's really powerful, something called a qualified written request or QWR, okay? And what that is, is a consumer can send what's called a qualified written request letter to the original creditor who the mortgage was with, okay? And what that qualified written request is, it's requesting all documentation regarding that real estate loan. Everything, not just the closing document. You ever closed on a house? If, if you bought a house, you know what it's like, right? Oh
0: yeah, you're signing like through a phone book.
1: It's, it's a giant stack. So just the starting documents of a real estate loan is like this, right? Now imagine every single um, billing statement for that account, right? The older you've had that mortgage for, the more statements you're gonna have, right? Anyway, if if if, if the, the, the bank says I owe them $3,000 today, and I've had this account for, let's say, three years, the only way that I know that the $3,000 balance on the current statement is correct is if I know what was the previous statement, and the previous, and the previous, and the previous, all the way to inception. Because what if there was a math error in any one of those statements? Then is my last statement with the $3,000 balance correct? It's not, right? So that's what the qualified request is. You're requesting all documents regarding that account directly to the mortgage bank, the lender who will lend the mortgage, right? And what are they gonna do? Do you think they're gonna go into their, their filing cabinet, open up the, the, that drawer like the Bruce Almighty movie, right? And then get all those documents and scan them all or make a copy. Chances are they're not gonna do that, right? So. Because of what is easier for me to do is delete, as opposed to send you all this information, they just delete, or they will ignore you. They won't respond, which is great. Because now, hey, you didn't respond. Hey, you didn't respond. Hey, you didn't respond. CFPB complain, hey, I've been requesting, 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 I haven't responded. And once they get something from the CFPB, they're probably gonna respond, right? And now, do you think they still wanna go into their big filing cabinet and get everything, or do you think they're just gonna remove the account?
0: <laughs> they're just gonna remove it, right?
1: Well, the name of the game is leverage, right? That's the name of the game. Who has the most leverage? Do the banks have the most leverage, or are you finding a way to get more leverage against them? That's the name of the game. Late payments are very tricky, and you have to be careful. Let's talk about late payments when it comes to um, how much does it impact you, right? Speaking of a mortgage account, right? If you're trying to um, get a mortgage, for example, a 30-day late payment will affect your credit score for two years. Okay. A 60-day late payment will affect your score for five years. A 90-day late payment or longer is a key derogatory item. It's going to affect your score for seven years. Okay. Now, you got a late payment on a credit report that happened 16 months ago, 18 months ago. It's getting to that 24 month range, right? Let it go. My my personal opinion. In a couple more months, it's not even going to be impacting the score anymore. And the impact and it's gradual, right? It's going to ding you hard when it's first 30 days late. But once it's been three months that a 30-day late happened, or six months that a 30-day late happened, or a year that a 30-day late happened, it starts losing its impact on the score. It starts impacting less and less and less, up to where in 24 months, it's no longer even impacting it at all. So first, you have to consider, is it worth even disputing in the first place, right? Um, If it is, right? If it is, how many late payments are there, right? If you're talking about one or two late payments on an account they've had for three years or five years, they've never been late before, your chances of getting a goodwill um, adjustment are high. And I've had that happen personally in mine. mind. I had a bad motorcycle accident a couple of years ago. I was in a hospital for 11 days. God knows what I went through. And I didn't make a payment on, on one of my accounts, on my American Express card, right? I was in a hospital. Couldn't figure it out, right? Couldn't do it. I looked at my credit report and man, crap, I forgot the, the, the American Express payment, right? Dude, I called up American Express, got to speak with whoever the highest supervisor was that I could, explain my situation. The next month, late payment was gone, right? So based on the relationship that you've had with your lender, right, with the furnisher, are you willing to do a goodwill adjustment on this, right? I'll always start there. Right, if it's just one or two late payments on a really aged account, and chances are they're going to work with you, they will do the adjustment. All right. Now you're talking about you got a whole bunch of 60 and 90 day lates and and all that, and you're worried about getting the whole account removed because it's still open, but you have all of these late payments. I wouldn't even go after the late payments. I'll go after the entire trade line and try to get the trade line removed because the chance of you removing multiple late payments and keeping the account, I don't think I've seen it. I don't think I've ever seen it. Right, so at that point, it's more advantageous to try to get the whole thing removed than to try to fix eight different late payments on an account, especially if they're all key derogatory payments. Right, so I go, you know, if it's one or two late payments, it's a thirty-day late, and or a thirty-six, and then you've never been late before. Obviously, something happened. Write a letter, man. You know, I got sick, or I lost my job, or whatever it is. We've had such a great relationship otherwise. Please, please, please. Are you willing to you know, forgive the late payment and do a goodwill adjustment? Here's what I've done on my side to make sure this never happens again. I've enrolled an auto pay, I've whatever. Send a letter like that and chances are the banks will adjust. Now your, your account has like bird poop all over it. Chances are you just, just try to get the whole account removed instead. Repos are again, different monster, right? It all goes back to laws. And I'll tell you, if you are spending your time not understanding and learning how credit repair works, you're spending your time doing the wrong things, right? Um, The service that you're getting paid for is to try to remove inaccurate, unverifiable, obsolete information from a credit report, right? If it's accurate and verifiable and not obsolete, it's not gonna come off, right? So that's why you can't guarantee it because you don't know if it's going to be proven to be accurate and it's going to be verifiable, right? So you don't know that until you start the process. So with repossessions, it's the same thing. What laws are around the repossessions, right? You got to study those. And there's different loopholes that you can get through. And when it comes to, to repossessions, what we like to do is first we ask how old, right? We find out how old the repossession is. If it just happened and the car was financed, right? Not leased, but financed, and they had gap insurance, right? Did they get their gap insurance money back after the repo? right? And if not, then now you're already starting to see some inaccuracies on the account itself, right? Um, This used to work tremendously well a few years ago with Santander Bank, you know? Uh, But then there's other laws that are um, regarding contracts with auto loans, right? Um, And you got to read them and you got to know them. And it's going to be different for every single account. But my strategy is very simple. I go to the bureaus first, right? I'll hit them three times the bureaus are just sending my requests over to the furnishers anyway, right? Then I'll find something. Oftentimes you'll find some loans, auto loans or leases, they have to be uh, multiples of six, always. Your loan will always be able to be divided by six, meaning it's 12 month loan, 24, 30, 36, 72, 84, right? 66, if you see a 67 under the term for the loan, eh, how's that? All loans are, are divided, by, divided by six, right? Or, so that's a violation there, right? Now, remember, you're sending all this stuff to the bureaus, the bureaus are sending all this stuff to the lender, the lender's verifying everything. When you get the lender to verify something that you know is not right, that's your leverage, right? That's your leverage. So that's what we do. We want them to verify it, right? Like if you're not deleting it, then I want you to verify it, right? I wanna get that letter back that says verified. Cause then I can take that letter from the bureaus that said verified, not once, not twice, but three times, right? And I can write a letter now to the lender. And I can say, you verified not only once or twice, but three times that X, Y, Z is A, B, C, right? It's correct. It's clearly not because blah, 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 blah. You're reporting inaccurate information on my credit report. You're violating my consumer rights under the FCRA. I demand you remove this damaging information on my credit report immediately, right? And leverage, it's all about leverage. Find what's wrong on the account, make, try to get the bureaus to verify wrong information. So now you have even more leverage when you go directly to the furniture and you rub that all over their face. You say, you did this. <laughs> That's awesome. You messed up, get it off my report now or I may have to find some legal help against you. Right, never say I'm gonna sue you. I may have to look at my options with an attorney. I like that. You have that language in your letters to the furnishers and you scare them. So I have a love-hate relationship with inquiries and with what people say about inquiries. I personally don't care for inquiries and I'll tell you why. We all know inquiries are 10% of your credit score, right? And from a 300 to an 850, that's, you know, 550 points to get to play with. So that's a potential 55 points that you can gain or lose on inquiries alone, right? But that's assuming that you got all of your inquiries today. Because just like late payments, over time they lose their weight. Okay, and a big misconception when people dispute inquiries. Number one rule is never dispute an inquiry tied to an open account. Never do that. Okay, we made a mistake actually recently with one of our clients, and we did that. Their credit card, the oldest account that they had on our credit report, got shut down because we disputed an inquiry with an open account. Never do that. Right? Um, we're humans. We all make mistakes. You know, so it happened. So I know that that happens when you dispute. Increase to open tied to open accounts, you run the risk of that account getting shut down, right? Because what is an inquiry? An inquiry a hundred times out of a hundred times they actually happen, because unlike anything else on a credit report, inquiries are placed on the report by the bureaus themselves. They're not reported to them by a furniture. How does that work? When you apply for a credit card with Chase, before Chase approves or denies you, what do they do? They go to the credit bureau and they say, hey, Equifax, let me see a copy of Bruce's credit report. At that point, before Equifax releases a report to Chase, Equifax is going to notate on their own records, Chase has requested a copy of Bruce's credit report, meaning that's the inquiry. So the bureaus put the inquiries on the report themselves. They're not reported to them by the bank. So someone requested that information or the bureaus wouldn't have put it on there, right? So that's number one. Nine times out of 10, the consumer did it, unless their identity was stolen, right? So first, let's understand how the anchors get on a report in the first place. The bureaus place them there. They're not reported to them by the furniture. That's the first thing. The second thing, when people have a ton of inquiries on their credit report, more often than not, it's because of a car loan or a mortgage, right? And we all know you go to the dealership, they ding your credit 300 times. I'm being you know, facetious, 10, 12 times, whatever. And because they're shopping around, trying to, get the, trying to get you the best rate for your brand new car, right? But what happens is, according to FICO and FICO's algorithm, within a 30 to 45-day period, all inquiries tied to auto loans will only count as one. You'll only think you want. So if I go here to Honda and I apply for a car there and Honda runs my credit and tries to approve me with six different banks today, and I was like, man, I got to think on this. And I walk across the street to Toyota and Toyota does the same thing. And then two weeks later, man, no, I'm going to drive a Benz. I go to Mercedes and, I, and they think my credit, the only inquiry that's hurting me is the first one from Honda within that 30 day period. Right. So even though you have multiple inquiries on your credit report, only it's only hurting your score once because you're not trying to buy six different cars. You're trying to buy one car you're shopping around for a loan. So you're not gonna get penalized as if you had applied for six different credit cards, right? Same is true for mortgages, right? Man, I'm gonna apply for a mortgage with this lender. They run my credit. I didn't like what they gave me. They gave me a, a 4% rate and it's 2022. No, I'm gonna go over there. And I got the two and a half rate with them. Only the first one counts within a 30 day period towards hurting the score, right? So that's the next thing to understand is like, man, Inquiries only stay on the report for two years. And after 12 months, they don't even impact the score anymore. So how old is the increase? If it's close to 12 months or older than 12 months, I don't care if you remove it, the score isn't changing, right? And they come off after 24 months. So now people will dispute all the inquiries that they not get approved for, right? So they bought the Honda and then they disputed all the other increase. That's great and dandy, but it's not really doing much to the consumer, right? And even when you apply for a mortgage, they are gonna ask you, man, you have a lot of inquiries on your credit report. Here's a piece of paper and you gotta tell me what each one of those inquiries are for. They're not saying denied because you have too many inquiries when it comes to a mortgage, right? Now, for a credit card, right, it's the same thing. If you apply for a credit card with Chase today, and then you apply for a credit card with Bank of America tomorrow, and then you go with one Wells Fargo tomorrow as well, those are all separate inquiries because you apply for three different accounts. Right. So when people are denied for too many inquiries on their credit report, they're not, the banks are not denying them because of too many inquiries due to auto loan accounts or mortgage accounts. It's because you've been applying for credit very often recently. Right. And that makes you risky. Like, why are you trying to borrow money so much? Right. Maybe I don't want to lend you anything. Right. So let's say you are going to dispute the inquiry. Then again, FCRA says everything on a credit report has to be accurate, verifiable, and timely. Right. So with anything, I'm not saying, It's not mine. Can you verify it's mine? Right. We never dispute not mine. That's just that's just unethical. Right. We're never going to do that unless it really isn't. Unless the consumer's like, I have no idea what this is. This is not mine. Right. Then I'll say, okay. Are you willing to file an affidavit with the FTC with the government agency? If you're lying, you're going to get in trouble. Are you willing to file that? Are you even willing to go file a police report because somebody stole your identity? If this isn't you, somebody did it. Right. And then that's how you know if they're lying or not, because if they're just saying not mine because they know it could work and they're not willing to do all the other stuff, then you know they're probably not going to do it. But anyways, then you'd say, hey, please verify that you have permissible purpose from me to pull my credit. Because that's, right, on the FCRA, um, the lenders need to have permissible purpose to pull your credit, meaning you got to have authorized them. Do you have my credit application on file? I'd like to see that. Because I don't remember. I don't remember the day I did that, right? I bought a car two months ago. Can I tell you the date that I applied for the car? No. So I'm not lying. I don't remember when I applied for this. Please send me my original credit application. If you can't prove permissible purpose, you're not allowed to report this. Remove it from my credit report. There's a legal and ethical way to do things without lying, without calling the bureaus and doing this new little scheme. Oh, I didn't authorize this, delete. Oh, but you, as long as you get the right person on the phone, it's going to work. And then you're doing that. You could do that. But why? why be shady if you can do it the right way? Right? So it's all about know your stuff, and there's no reason for you to want to do things in an unethical or illegal way, right? Ask for the permissible purpose, ask for the documents. they have to provide it. and if they can't provide it, then they're not allowed to report it. And now you have leverage. There's a strategy that you know has been working for for many years, and it's starting to start to phase out, right? starting to phase out. Uh, I'm not saying it doesn't work anymore, it still does, but the bureau's caught on to it, right? I mean, there's so many companies now using a strategy that, they know what's happening, but it doesn't matter because it's still a powerful strategy, right? You go when you when you look at a credit report. The bureau says the furnisher of the data is a courthouse, right? When you look at the credit report, it says U.S. Bankruptcy Court X Y Z as the furnisher. You go down to the to the creditors information where you have everybody's addresses. They have the bankruptcy court information there, right? So the bureaus are saying. The furniture of this data is the courthouse, okay? So then what do we do? We send a letter to the courthouse and we say, hey, do you verify or report information to the credit reporting agencies? Reason why I'm asking, I see it on my credit report and they're telling me you told them that you're reporting this information to them. Please let me know if you do this or not, right? And then the way we do it is we send them another little piece of paper with the letter that says a little box that says, yes, we verify information with the bureaus or no, you know, we don't verify information with the bureau. And there's lines for them to write explanations or whatever. And then we also include a return envelope as well, right, with the consumer's address and name. So all they have to do is put their response in there and put it in the mail. It's already pre-stamped and everything. That's how we do it. Um, And what happens is when the court replies, they reply no. We don't report anything or verify anything with credit reporting agencies, right? Now you take that and you send that to the Bureau and you say, um, please explain. You're saying they do. They're saying they don't. Who do I believe? You're obviously telling me a load of crap. I delete this from my credit report immediately because I have proof that you're reporting inaccurate information on my credit report. The wrong furnisher, that's damaging. You're telling me I owe the wrong people money, Right? So that that strategy seems to work, and when the court replies, a lot of times the court may not reply the first time. I have to have hit them a couple months before they finally reply, right? Some courts now have like a template already that they send, because I see it like, man, I'm starting to get the same exact letter from the courthouses saying they don't reply to to the, or furnish information to the bureaus. Great, take that, put it in a dispute letter to the bureau and fire it off, right? And I have leverage, right? If the bureaus continue to verify it get your little leverage, go to the CFPB website and file a freaking complaint with your leverage, right? Because they may play around with you. They're not going to play around with the CFPB. That
0: is awesome. Yeah.
1: By the way, they get their information from PACER, which is a public record database. That's where they're really getting the information from. Wasn't that great?
0: Isn't Bruce like a walking encyclopedia? I hope you learned a lot. It's important to remember that credit repair disputing is all about knowing the laws, being persistent, and getting leverage to strengthen your disputes. And just a reminder, this podcast is brought to you by Credit Hero Score. Credit Hero Score is the only credit monitoring service that integrates directly with Credit Repair Cloud. Get instant access to your credit reports and scores by signing up for a seven day trial for only $1. Sign up right now at creditheroscore.com. And I'll end by saying if you don't already have a Credit Repair Cloud account, check it out. It's the software that most credit repair businesses in America run on. Just sign up for a 30-day free trial at creditrepaircloud.com slash free trial. And if you'd like me to hold you by the hand as you launch your very own credit repair business, check out our Credit Hero Challenge. It's a live experience that has helped tons of credit heroes to get their first clients, to get certified in disputing, and to gain confidence as they launch their credit repair business on a solid foundation so they can change a whole lot of lives and make a great living in the process. We're starting the next challenge very soon, so join before the doors close or you're gonna have a long wait until the next one. So sign up now at creditherochallenge.com. And if you're finding value in the things that I share on this podcast, be sure to click to subscribe and leave me your questions and your comments because I read each and every one of them. And be sure to visit my blog if you'd like to read the show notes. And if you have a question that you'd like me to answer, just drop it down in the comments section and I'll be sure to answer it during a later episode. Until next time, keep learning the laws and looking for leverage and keep changing lives. Want a fast track to creating an amazing business that helps people, changes lives and makes you a great living in the process? Then I'd like to invite you to my free online training at creditrepaircloud.com slash free training. In this free training, you will learn how to get clients willing to pay you even if you're just starting out. How to get easy credit repair results without being an expert. And how to get all the clients you'll ever need without paying for advertising. Again, this training is absolutely free. Just visit creditrepaircloud.com slash free training.